Hello and welcome to the Business and Pleasure podcast, the show that discusses what it's really like to be a digital nomad. We talk about the ups and downs, the lessons learned and the big discussion about whether you can really have it all. Today we have Dominic Sober on the show. Dominic is an indie hacker, digital nomad, founder and creator of Helpkit HQ and productvideoexamples.com. He also shares blogs, which are videos on Twitter, sharing advice, learnings and insights into what it's like being a digital nomad. He's been traveling the world as well as working for the last three years. Today, we're going to discuss what the last three years have looked like for Dominic, how he approaches work and travel and why you should be considering the digital nomad lifestyle. Welcome to the show, Dominic. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. And um, to everybody listening, I'm sorry if the sound is slightly off today. We've had a few technical issues, digital nomad life. So hopefully you can hear me okay. Dominic, let's just get straight into it. Can you tell us what you were doing before you became a digital nomad and why did your digital nomad journey begin? Sure. So I initially started out um, like a lot of people. I was just studying, doing my undergrad. I was studying business. Um, and during my undergrad, I sort of got exposure to traveling abroad. I did an exchange semester in Hong Kong when I was, I think, 20 years old. And I feel like that was like the first time I actually stepped foot out of Europe. I've um, mm -hmm. been traveling around Europe quite a bit when I was a kid, but like never really did a big thing. And then I went alone to Hong Kong, lived there for half a year. And that kind of opened up my eyes in like terms of how cool it is living in Asia, just in terms of how friendly people are, different cultures. And then I came back and then ever since I came back, I was kind of sort of disappointed still living in Austria. I'm originally from Austria, um, which in the winter is really nice. It snows a lot, but it can feel a bit claustrophobic, especially if you spend your entire life there. Mm -hmm. And then for my master's, I decided I have to leave Austria because it feels very it just feels like the same all, all, all year long. And then I was like, okay, I need to go somewhere warmer. So I went to Portugal. I went to nice. Lisbon to yeah. do my master's degree there. It was much sunnier. I love the city. And so I got kind of like already my, my toes wet in terms of just traveling around a bit. And then during my master's, I realized I just, I, I really don't want to spend my, most of my time in Europe because I feel like I ha always had like my, my back, like my story back from, from college, back in Hong Kong in my back mm. of my mind. I was like, if I could just find a way to like, just go somewhere else, like be in Asia, travel around Asia, that would be amazing. During my entire master's, I was just trying to build a product so I could earn enough money to actually become a digital nomad because, you know, like parents were already talking like, oh, are you going to get a job after graduation? What's going <laughs> to happen? And so I used my entire masters to essentially just build my own products and most of them oh. failed, but luckily one got really successful. And then it sort of allowed me, it just opened the gates in terms of what I could do financially. Mm -hmm. And all my friends that I met in Lisbon were talking about Bali and I heard so many good stories and so many bad stories. And I just, I, I told myself, like, I have to see it for myself. And so yeah. as a sort of like first hashtag digital nomad journey, I embarked on the way onto Bali and <laughs> Gotta be done. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. And then that kind of changed, I think, I feel like my whole trajectory in terms of digital nomads, because there's so many digital nomads in Bali. I'm actually back mm -hmm. now. I'm back in Bali. I met so many people, shared different stories. And then I was like, all right, digital nomads, kind of cool. I think I'm going to try it out. 
I love barley as well. It's the best. <laughs> so I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how did you how did you navigate that change in lifestyle? You mentioned you were at university at the time, but it's quite a big change from going to university, having that structure and that sort of routine and then becoming a digital nomad and sort of having the freedom to have a routine, not have a routine. How did you find that? Yeah, I agree. Like in terms of, I feel like just letting go of like most of the things that you're used to, your routine, your friends, in the beginning was a bit, felt a bit odd. Mm. But on the other hand, all my friends already back in my undergrad, um, they were all sort of leaving the country, going somewhere else. So I lost sort of like most of my community there. Then I went to Portugal, met a couple of friends doing study, but it also like I felt, I didn't really feel like I had like a tribe of like-minded people back then. So in terms of like community, it wasn't like a big, big decision. Um, it was just like more of like what I'm comfortable with, you know, because mm -hmm. if, you, if you know a place really in and out, it's really nice, you know, where to go, where your gym is, etc. But I think like, I just, I was really sort of depressed with the way of, um, like I just wanted to find people that are more like-minded. And so for me, actually, it was pretty easy to just go along start being a digital nomad and see what the world kind of has in offer. Um, I would say I'm, I'm still like very introvert when it comes to like talking to people. So Bali was a really good first place because people are just so social. So I got like yeah. really forced into meeting people and that was a really great first uh, introduction, I think for me. I would probably say I'm the same with how I started. I sort of just went into it and didn't think too much about it. Yeah, I agree. People in Bali are just so open and welcoming and chatty that you straight away feel comfortable and it's sort of you let down your wall a little. It's a great place to begin the digital nomad journey. And what would you say your biggest learnings are so far? Well, I think that's a good that's like a big question, right? I feel <laughs> like there's so many, so many lessons that I learned. But I think like, I think there's a couple. The first big one is traveling light. I yeah. started traveling with like two big American tourist uh, suitcases Oof. and I absolutely hated it. I had so much stuff with me and I just thought I needed it. And uh, quite frankly, like I didn't even use maybe like, like I used maybe a tenth of the stuff that I brought with me. And then I realized, mm -hmm. um, why, why do I have bring all of this stuff? And so I gradually, it was actually quite a long process. I got rid of almost everything and I stripped it down to one backpack, one small carry on. And then when I do like sort of longer term travel, I have one little plastic bag with me and that's it. And I did the whole like digital minimalism, Marie Kondo, what doesn't spark joy thing. And it actually really <laughs> helped. Like I feel so much happier owning less and I think that's like the first the first big lesson in terms of like other things I feel like routine is a big thing because when you travel a lot it's very easy to fall into the trap of just going with the flow doing whatever other people might just invite you to there's a drink there there's a drink there um, you go to a co-working space you meet some people then they want to do a trip to like a mountain so you go hiking which all is fair but if you actually want to get work done, I think realizing that you have to get back into a specific routine is really, really important. And it kind of can make you depressed after a while if you just go with the flow. Definitely fall trap of that. I don't know how it is for you, how it was or how it is for you, but that was a big lesson as well. I um, think it's 
as well with that it takes you time to realize that because when you first start to the journey you're like oh of course I want to be social I want to make friends I want to explore this new place I'm in so you put so much effort into that and then you end up tiring yourself out and then you realize oh actually I haven't been putting the amount of time I should be putting into work and then you're like then you're annoyed at yourself it's all the emotions basically Mm -hmm. but you've sort of got to ride that wave to figure out what that balance is for you and then you can be like oh actually I went out for drinks last night, maybe the next few days. I shouldn't go out for a few beds like, and get back to work. It's it's riding that wave, isn't it? And and getting to that point of like, oh, I'm, I'm not really finding a balance here. Yeah, I agree. I feel the thing is giving yourself, like you think if you have a routine, you're sort of restricting yourself, but it's quite yeah. the opposite. Having a routine actually opens up sort of, slots for you that you can actually um enjoy what you're about to do even if it's going out like with friends whatever but you actually give like you're giving yourself space and time for doing the things yeah by not having a routine you just like sooner or later you just get wrecked and i think it does happen to almost every digital nomad i ever met and it's totally (laughs) fine like if it's your first sort of like trip your first digital nomad trip sort of just embrace that it's gonna be like you're not going to be really productive. It's just going to happen. But also realize that it's really important to get into a routine. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And I think it it ebbs and flows, like depending where you are and who you're with. And just if you're moving around a lot, you can easily sort of lose that routine with the time difference. And I think it's being okay happy that you know sometimes that is going to happen it's not going to be a constant thing forever two really good learnings I think the traveling light is (laughs) a great piece of advice and again something that you sort of have to figure out as you go Mm -hmm. like my dream is just to have carry on but I am not there yet I've got like this big backpack and then I also have like another backpack that I carry my laptop in and I've met lots of people on my travels and they just have carry-on I'm like oh god I want to be you (laughs) and um, I go back to the UK in a few months and then I'm back to Southeast Asia and my aim is to really get rid of a lot of things and travel even lighter so I'll keep you posted on that (laughs) One thing I just want to add onto this because that's also a thing people can easily get wrong is when you when I say travel light, it doesn't mean you have to like restrict yourself to only like three pairs of underwear, like two two <laughs> pairs of shirt, and you're you're not gonna enjoy life anymore because you're wearing the same stuff every day and it, everything feels sort of bland. What I mean is like you just gotta. Like you got to think about what are the actual pieces you really enjoy wearing and then yeah. you even enjoy them more. Um, it's not about like just taking away everything, the whole fun out of like whatever you have or the stuff you have, but it's like being conscious about the things you actually enjoy. And then you can also spend a bit more on the few things you have for better quality. Yeah. Um, so like I bought like a new backpack that is just much, much better quality. I bought like a little like, tech pouch you know but like a mm. really good one where the zipper is like really smooth it's like these tiny things but now every day i use it i'm super happy i have it and this is the yeah. only thing i have so yeah that's just one thing i want to add on yeah that's a really good point have a 
smaller amount of things but that make sure those things are things that you love and what you really enjoy and things that you actually want because it's like you can end up packing loads of things and you, you don't end up wearing it or you're like why have I even bothered bringing this like really sit down and think about what you want and what brings you joy I think that's a really good point and moving on to your sort of best travel experience worst travel experiences what would you say your best travel experience is so far I think probably the best one I had was going to Japan it's sort of a cliche I think um, a lot of people fall in love with Japan the first time they go there um, it definitely was the case for me I feel like just the combination of like this very homogenous society, like 99.9% are Japanese. You mm. really feel like a foreigner there. Um, but you also feel very welcome. So it's this combination of like just actually feeling like you're really abroad. Like yeah. in Bali, most people are just like, they are from all around the world, but yeah. mostly they're from <laughs> Europe, North America. So yeah, you feel the same, right? But if you're in Japan, it really feels like, okay, this is completely different. And people are sort of judging you. It's just a funny it's a funny way and the food is amazing yeah um i love i like i love everything about japan maybe besides the anime culture i'm actually really not into this despite a lot of people going there actually specifically just because of that um but yeah i feel like japan definitely was like japan and south korea were the two um countries that i really like like the most in terms of just the cultural experience i would say I felt the same when I went to Japan. I was, bit, I felt very out of my comfort zone to a point. The language barrier and everything like that. But again, amazing. Absolutely loved it. No place like it in my eyes. And what would you say your worst travel experience is so far, or something that's just not really <laughs> worked out? Hmm. Um, well, I think probably it was India. I spent only two weeks nomading through Rajasthan. It used to be King's area of India. It goes through Agra where the Taj Mahal is and then some other cities. Oh, and okay. I just had a really bad experience traveling through India in terms of there's so many ultra friendly people, like people that want to have like autographs, like you feel like a celebrity, absolutely <laughs> hospital people. But on the same hand, I just felt there is like, there is so much like people that trying to sell you stuff and they would just wouldn't let you go. Usually in places, you can be like, hey, I know you asked me five times. I don't want to buy it. And they just let you go. But in India, I felt like it's almost impossible. You have like constantly mm -hmm. people following you. I don't know what you call it, like this hustle culture. I just didn't really like it. So I felt mm -hmm. really not comfortable. I couldn't really focus on, I couldn't barely focus on work at all. So that maybe was like negative, but also on the other hand, like the cultural, like the, the, the experience in terms of like amazing food, talking to really funny people made up for it. But yeah, yeah. like that was a, that's not a place I think you can easily go as a digital nomad thinking you'll get to like, get your best work done there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's, yeah, that's good to know. And did you travel alone when you were in India? I was actually there with a friend, American oh, friend. Nice. Um, so we were two, I think alone would have been even a bit crazier. Um, I usually travel alone, but for India, like a friend of mine really wanted to go as well. So it was like a nice match. What do you find hard about being a digital nomad? I feel like the first thing that comes to my mind, obviously, is like, like 
finding a rhythm and what I mean with this, like the routine thing is that in the beginning I made the mistake, I think a lot of nomads do is I traveled quite frequently. I was traveling like a week there, two weeks there, maybe mm -hmm. sometimes like three weeks there, but I realized that it's almost impossible for me to feel like home. In the beginning, you feel like as a digital nomad, just as a tourist, right? But then at one point you realize I actually need to sort of live, right? And I realized that the whole concept of like slow matting, the idea of going to a place for a minimum, I would say, of two plus months is so much more suited for my mental state, mm. my physical state. Um, so what I found out is that I really, really enjoy staying in a place longer even than three months the sweet spot for me might be three to five months i think um oh, it's wow. like the sweet spot and i sort of right now like it's always changing but i came up with this this idea of like separating your year into three seasons the first season is like when i'm more adventurous where i actually give myself the room of just traveling more like doing like one week there three weeks there for like maybe one two months um, where I know, okay, I'm not going to get like really the best of my work done. I won't get into a lot of flow states with my work, but I'm going to see a lot of cool stuff and I'm going to meet new people. And after that, like I have this phase of like focusing more on work. So it will mm. be a couple of months where I go to a place where I know I can, where I get to know the place and actually sort of try to live like a local and then just work from there. And then the third is like a bit sort of similar but i feel it more as a something recurring like something that i already know so for me right now i came back to bali for the next few months because i realized that coming back to a place you've already been just takes like you know how everything works you have your friends there a lot of yeah. people might live there and so i realized like i also need that sort of like familiarity at least yeah. once a year because otherwise, otherwise it's very, very tough. And that also plays with the second thing, which is like, I mean, just keeping relationships um, healthy, right? It's like, it's, I think as digital nomads, we kind of learn how to just be friends online. Um, at least that's how I did. Like a lot of, we have friends groups, like WhatsApp, Telegram. There's a lot of friends on Twitter now that I engage with a lot, actually now met in real life, which is really nice. But that is always like a hard thing, actually keeping like being near your friends. And then obviously it also ties into actual like relationships. It's really hard to actually date as a digital nomad. I think a lot of people kind of brush it off in the beginning. But if you really like if you really want to have like a committed relationship, it's really, really hard finding someone that is in the same position and like you want to go there. They don't want to go there. You know, that that's already the hard part. Because if two people are nomadic, it's already a very interesting thing. And then if one person is nomadic and the other one isn't, you might want to travel again. Yeah. I haven't found a, a really good solution to this as of now. I think eventually just settling more might be one. I don't know mm. how it is for you. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know if you've used Nomad List before. They have a feature where it's they have like a section where you can like make friends but they also have a like a dating side to that um yeah. and also I spoke to I had um Holly on my podcast and she 
gave loads of like resources and she also mentioned there was a Facebook group for sort of dating digital nomad so I think there's platforms and things out there but I don't know how aware people are of them or how useful they are but it is an interesting thing to think about because if you do sort of want to um, have a relationship but you also want to travel and you don't want to sort of stop the the nomading life it's it's, it can be quite a complicated thing so I think yeah try, potentially finding someone who is in the nomad space and understands what it's like and is sort of on the move as well would probably be the best bet if you didn't want to settle down but yeah it's an interesting thing isn't it yeah I feel like the best case is like I, I had a friend who essentially he moved he's from France he moved back to France and then in Paris I think he he met um, his now girlfriend and he sort of converted her to become an, nice. a nomad so that's like the best probably best case like you go yeah. somewhere familiar <laughs> you meet someone and you just convert them obviously easier said than done but yeah there's definitely not an easy answer I have checked out the nomad list like dating thing but to be honest it felt like really not at work like it didn't really feel like it's really working it's just like yeah there's not a lot of people and like even if there was a match like it, it just didn't I don't know it just didn't really feel like organic and I haven't heard about the Facebook thing it sounds a bit like a boomer thing but maybe I'm wrong I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe it's not the right fit <laughs> I'll send you the link and then you can decide <laughs> yeah please please I will <laughs> How do you approach work and travel? I think this would be a good point now to talk about your your videos on Twitter, because in your videos, you actually talk a lot about this and, you know, the accommodation and everything like that. I know we've already spoken about the routine and we've sort of said how mm. important it is to have a routine, but also not put too much pressure on it. It'd be like great to hear about sort of your, your more of your day to day, how you approach that and also when it comes to the accommodation side of things. So for instance, I mainly stay in hostels that have co-working spaces, but then every now and then I need to mix up to have a bit of a break and I go to a hotel. But in your videos, you sort of discuss condos and things like that. So it'd be great to hear a bit more about that and why that works sure. for you. I feel like in the beginning, I was also living a lot in hostels because obviously it's the cheapest and also you meet a lot of people. So for a while, this was my go-to thing and a lot yeah. of people still do, like a lot of my friends still do. But for me, I realized after a while that I get very exhausted mentally and physically in hostels, especially because it depends, right? If you live actually in, in a dorm with multiple people, I just, I'm at a position where I just, I can't, like I, my, my sleep is like so important to me. And living in a dorm with multiple people, is just like, it's a, it's a recipe for like chaos. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I also then, it, yeah. And then I realized that also, like, I would call myself like a, like, I would call myself an introvert in terms of my social battery lowers the more I talk to people. You know, some people, yeah. they get like really energetic, the more they talk to people. For me, it's, I wake up with a full battery, the more I talk, the less it gets. And like hostels seem to like overflow me with like bunch of people. And I'm just like, yeah. ah, I, I want to choose. This is too much. Like I just I yeah. feel, like I want to choose when I talk and like not like really pressured into it. And to be quite frankly, like whenever I go to a hostel, I got really drunk 
and uh, <laughs> which is fun, but like I just, <laughs> it's not something I can sustain. I think with hostels as well, like you, well, what I found is you constantly have to be on, like you say, you you constantly yeah. have to be talking to people or, yeah, you have to be always on really, which it gets very tiring. Like I've, like I said, mainly do hostels again, just because it's cheaper and it's a great way to meet people as well. And especially if they have a co-working space, you can meet other digital nomads and it's right on your doorstep, which is perfect. But again, when it comes to the sleep side of things, it's a bit of a killer because you, you may be in a dorm with um, tra- travellers and they're like, it's a Friday night and they're like raging and really excited but then you're like that person in the room it's like oh actually sorry guys I have a I have a call at 9am in the morning and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> you're that person so and I think when it, it's interesting I think when sorry, it comes to this there's like one one important distinction I think between a hostel and a co-living space mm. these sort of sometimes are intertwined there are things like Selena um I think one of the most like known ones um like worldwide but I think co-living spaces are a little bit more approachable when it comes to this because everyone's supposed to be working there. Um, while if you go to actual hostels, like you're just going to run into people that are there for probably different reasons than you are, which is just partying, um, yeah. which is fair. But I just realized this is absolutely not my cup of tea. In the beginning, you want to meet like whoever you can. But then after a while, you realize you actually want to meet like qualitative people, like more quality than quantity. And uh, so, yeah, co-living. I used to live in co-living spaces as well. Most of the time had really great experiences um, where you just live in a room um, and then you share maybe like a bathroom. It's sort of like a hostel situation, but more dedicated for remote workers, I guess. So mm-hmm. I did that for a while. And then, because you mentioned like the videos I made about the condos, I feel like it's a, uh, this, this at least appears to be much more of a like Southeast Asian big city thing. So in cities like Saigon in Bangkok, you just tend to have access to a real, to really, really cool, fancy like apartments for relatively cheap. So you can actually like live really, really like have a nice quality of life in condos and uh really like live there like live there in terms of like you don't even have to leave the complex because there might be a sauna sometimes you have a swimming pool like there is like coffee like coffee robots making you coffee so like you don't even if you want to have to leave so it's perfect to focus on work at least for me yeah and how do you find those types of places is it just through airbnb is it sort of word of mouth from friends who've stayed there previously like, I feel like, obviously, word of mouth sometimes um, is, is really helpful. But yeah. mostly what I do is I just, um, I go onto Airbnb. I look for places that look sort of like how I want them to be. Yeah. And usually they are way too expensive, like way too expensive. And uh, then I just reach out to the owner. And like in 90% of cases, either the owner says, yeah, let's do this offhand. Um, if Airbnb is listening to this, um, obviously I'm not doing this. Um, this is all just uh, <laughs> theoretical practice. Um, and then usually they're really down of just doing it um, with their own system or or, or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. And then sometimes also it happens that their Airbnb is maybe managed by a broker. And then once you get contact with the broker, um, it's much easier to just do it with the broker because they yeah. are already sort of facilitating it. So the TLDR is you can do this with 
Booking, Agoda, whatever it is. You just find a WhatsApp line, WeChat, whatever number it is, and you just text them. And most of the cases, this works perfectly fine. Um, so that's what I do. Um, yeah. I just find really fancy places and then I reach out to them. Um, but I agree in the beginning, it's really like if you go to a new city, it's really hard. You don't know where's a good area to be, right? Where, what kind of, what is the expected amount I should pay? Am I overpaying? There's mm-hmm. so many things. Um, there are a couple of things that are helpful with this. For example, Peter Levels built like, the, the guy who built Nomadist, right? He made also a little website called Hoodmaps, hoodmaps.com, which is a, it's a website that shows you for each city, the areas, like it's a crowdfunded um, city map where you can find specific areas that people think are actually cool to visit. It's really, really helpful. So people are like sort of selecting areas that are upcoming. Then there are some areas, for example, Bangkok has a, like a really sort of like shitty red light district. And if you don't know, you might not um, booking a place there because there's also a lot of, um, fancy but cheap places i made the same mistake and then i went to hood maps and i looked at the area and it literally just said like thailand's biggest red light district stay away (laughs) and i was like oh no i made the mistake you were right in the center of it (laughs) i was right in the center and so yeah that's a really great resource and that's uh, great there's another couple of tips like a friend of mine came up with this idea of essentially looking at the density of Starbucks in a specific location. So the idea is, if you want to find the city center, it's really hard. Um, but if you look at like on the on, on Google Maps, where are the most Starbucks next to each other? Where's the most dense Starbucks place? That's usually a good indicator where a good place, where the where a good place to like um, live nearby. I guess maybe you yeah. don't want to live in the city center of that um, for obvious reasons. But that's also interesting interesting proxy you can use have you got any advice for a budding digital nomad i know we've actually covered you've got you've shared quite a bit of advice which is great but if there was one piece you had to give someone who was looking to start their digital nomad journey what would it be i think the first most important thing i noticed with a couple of people i met throughout my nomading journey especially when i come back home to austria meet friends that also sort of want to start being a digital nomad it's the notion of if you want to start being a digital nomad, you don't have to give up everything in, in, in the first few like tries of being a digital nomad. Like a lot of people think, oh my God, like I have to give up, like my, I have to give up my lease. I have to sell my car. I have to mm. uh, break up with my girlfriend or boyfriend. And then I start my digital nomad journey. But like, like with everything in life, you can just test it out, right? Just test the yeah. water. So maybe go for a month, see how you like it. And then worst case, after a month, nothing happened, right? Mm. So you just return. And maybe you had a great trip and it just wasn't something for you. Or you would absolutely fall in love with the whole traveling and like being somewhere new, learning new cultures, new people. And you're like, all right, now it feels much easier to give up everything or like most of it and just actually take um, take the leap and do it. So the TLDR, you don't have to like start out cold turkey with like doing everything at once, giving up everything, just do it step by step. And yeah. one more thing, cause that's really important. Get an insurance. <laughs> like yes. I cannot stress <laughs> this enough, but Please. I've made a lot of people that just don't give a damn about insurance. And I just, 
I just cannot understand how how you cannot do this. Like get a if you start out, get a travel insurance, at least get a travel insurance. And then there is also if you become an actual like perpetual digital nomad, look into expat insurances, like insurances that cover you like throughout the world if something would happen for like more like more severe cases, if you would get cancer, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um Look into this because this is like the most important thing is your health. And uh, a lot of people, for whatever reason, neglect it. And I just, yeah, I cannot fathom how people do this. But yeah, that's... (laughs) That's a very good point that I think people sort of just forget about as well. Like, and now because digital nomading has sort of blown up, there's actually lots of different insurances specifically for digital nomads, which is great because like the traditional insurances, it's like you can only be in this like specific country. And if you leave, like it no longer works and it's only last 30 days, which is obviously a nightmare if you're a digital nomad. So yeah. It's a very important thing to have in place because you never know what's going to happen. If anyone has any questions about this, I'm more than happy to share like all the knowledge I have about this because I, I like in the beginning, nobody, nobody was talking about this. So I had to like, like go into like the depth of all of this and like really figure out how it works. So yeah, if anyone has some questions or if you have a question, I mean, obviously more than happy to share. Yeah, that would be amazing. That was great. I think, yeah, it's an important piece to have in your digital nomad puzzle. It's it's not something you want to sort of leave and wait for something to happen. Like, I think that's a really good mm-hmm. shout. And um, sorry, I'm just jumping back to when we spoke about you slow mad. So you, your idea was sort of staying in a place for two plus months. When it comes to sorting out visas, have you ever had any like real problems have you had any like nightmare stories i know sometimes i've been sorting out visas in the past and they've sort of not gone to plan but have you got any Mm. either like any tips and tricks that come with um sorting out a visa i feel like in most cases you would be fine now this obviously depends a lot on where you're from initially right um yeah so for me, being Austrian, having an Austrian passport, which is one of the best you can actually have in the world, it's very easy for me in most cases. Even though, for whatever reason, whenever I go to the Philippines, I get, and Vietnam, I get screened like as if I would be like the biggest criminal um, in the entire digital nomad sphere. I don't know why. Um, never had any issue in Thailand, for example, but I do get some the occasional screenings and um, I, I wonder why. Maybe I just look suspicious. I don't know. <laughs> You're um, just giving off the vibe. <laughs> I'm just giving off the vibe of like, I don't know. But yeah, actually, like everything as of now went really smooth. Um, mm. In most cases, you can stay like usually it depends on the visas. Like you can stay for 30 days. Most countries can stay yeah. at least 30 days without any issue and then you can do visa runs where you just leave the country and come back in again um and most countries you can just do this perpetually sort of um but then if you do want to stay a bit longer with a little bit of more i would say comfort for example in bali you can get a um like a 60-day visa which is costing yeah. a bit of money and then you can but you can extend this for like two times for another 60 days so in the end you can live six months in bali without leaving without doing a visa run um you just pay a little bit of money and sort of the same exists in like other countries as well it's definitely in the beginning a bit hard to like 
sort of like find out all of these things. Um, so for example, a couple of my friends asked me about Thailand. Um, so what I just did is like, I wrote like a little notion document. It's not, um, it's not ready yet, but I just tried to like dump everything I know about it in this notion document. So I just can like tell people a little bit about how to, how to get started. Cause in the beginning it just, yeah, you're like, you arrive and you're like, Hmm, yeah. now am I? Uh at the Not... beginning, it can be quite overwhelming but if you spend, yes. if you have to go to like the immigration office or anything like that. And then with the language barrier and you're, you're sort of going through the Internet and different sources are saying different things, it can be very overwhelming. And then once you're sort of like you've done it a few times, you know how it works, you know what's like right and wrong. But, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to find like a one place on the internet where that has everything you need for sort of figuring out visas but that's great to hear that you've not really had any visa nightmares <laughs> yeah no luckily I uh I, I try to like when it comes to visas I'm just a bit too too cautious because I just yeah. I, I really don't want to like mess with like countries and like getting kicked out like that's not yeah you know I think that's I the right approach <laughs> no that's but then... you don't want to ruin it for yourself but then again, I think like, especially if you travel through <laughs> Southeast Asia, you have to realize that things work just a bit differently than yes. back in like Europe or North America, where yes. there's a lot of gray areas you can get yourself in, um, yes. in the, in the positive way, but you just need to know, like, you need to get a feeling of how, like, um, it, for example, what I'm talking about is like it now, it, it, um, now it's not the case anymore, but like years ago. You could overstay your visa in Thailand, for example, and it would cost you less than actually getting another visa and the, the immigration wouldn't care. <laughs> so you could literally overstay, pay a little bit of money, but it would be cheaper than all your other options. So the people that actually know about this um, would just overstay and then just pay a little bit of money. But for example, in this case, Thailand actually um, cracked down on this because they realized like a lot of people abuse it. So now you actually, you get like yeah. a ban where you cannot enter the country again. However, there's like in every Southeast Asian country, things like this exist. So a little bit by word of mouth, asking more like um, advanced digital nomads, like they might know some hacks you wouldn't really think are actually possible. And so, yeah, that's a, that's really also something to, yeah. to keep in mind. Always yeah, ask your more, more knowledgeable digital nomad friends because they might yeah. know a hack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've lived through it. They know, they know how it works. Have you been to South America yet? Not yet. It's it's like very big on my list. Yeah, yeah, because the majority of countries here, you can stay up to three months without a visa. So sounds right up your street. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I yeah. I told myself that I want to learn a bit Spanish before I go. Yes. Did you have any Highly issues? Highly recommend. Like... When I first arrived in Argentina, I didn't know any Spanish. I didn't do it at school. And I'm like the classic mm -hmm. English person who's just rubbish um so when I first arrived in Argentina and I'd just come back from Southeast Asia and like the culture shock was massive it was completely different so that took me a few days to get my head around and then I realized that I needed to learn Spanish quick I had started doing Duolingo on my phone a few months before going to Argentina but it sort of only gets me so far and it's like conversations like oh mm -hmm. my dog is called 
Barry. It's yeah, not absolutely like, you know, useless conversations <laughs> for day to day. It's great for the vocab, but it more conversation. Yeah. It sort of it lacks a bit for me, but it is great. I stayed in a hostel and met loads of people, and I realised that a lot of them were doing. So I signed oh, up. Nice. Uh, signed up for a Spanish course and I ended up doing two months of Spanish lessons in Argentina and they were absolutely brilliant but I highly nice. recommend if you if you're looking to come to South America to get some <laughs> get some Spanish learning in um because lots of people if you stick to the big cities people do speak English but it's not like um Southeast Asia or like Bali for instance where a lot of people speak English it's you really sort of yeah got to do some learning um, with the languages over here which is brilliant as well yeah I want to emphasize like I feel like as a digital nomad this is something very close to my heart I feel like as a digital nomad you're not a tourist right so whenever mm. you go to a place I find it very important that you learn at least like the basics 100%. of a language because it's such a big difference in terms of showing your um, respect to the people that are living there. If you just like, I mean, it, it can be as simple as learning how to say hello, thank you, goodbye, how are you? Exactly. These just the basics. like four things, yeah, make such a big difference. And yeah. like, I, I meet like so many digital nomads that live like, like maybe even years in a place and they don't even speak a single word. And I'm like, I, I just don't know. Show a bit of respect for the culture. I and agree, will, I agree. You will also feel yeah, you will feel the, um, you see, I'm passionate about this, but you, you will you will see the, like, locals are so happy if you just make an effort, even if it's just to say hello. So might as well yeah. take advantage of that. Definitely. And it makes you feel a lot more part of the place that you're in and you feel more embedded into that place as well, which yeah. is really nice. I know, I think it's a shame when people don't even bother because they, you, you should, you should want to get in there and learn and, you know, converse with the locals and all of that so yeah I completely agree with that as well so we're coming to the last few questions can you really have it all can you have a balance of business and pleasure I mean I feel like as a like if you're an entrepreneur I think now there is like a difference in in between like actually being employed in the digital nomad and uh entrepreneur or freelancer and a digital nomad yeah which i'm the latter like i cannot talk for the former i think that there is not really like yes absolutely you can like you can have it because i think you if you're your own boss quote unquote you can dedicate specific time for doing things that you actually like really enjoy doing besides obviously working um and like, honestly, being a digital nomad and having your own company is like one of the best things I think you can do. Because, yeah. for example, if you travel to different places, let's say you do some sightseeing, you can actually do the sightseeing when it's the least busy time of the day. Otherwise, yeah. a lot of people, they go to sites on like the weekend when there is like huge crowd, a lot of queues, and you're just going to be miserable and like losing a lot of time. While as if you're if you can dedicate your time a little bit more flexible, you're like, well, you know what? I'm going to go there on Monday, 8 a.m. Nobody's going to be there and you will have the yeah. best time of your life. So I think you can have it. And uh, But then again, obviously, I think one thing it's important to stress out is that you will have to find a routine and sometimes it will feel very weird. For me, it, it sometimes feels weird when you're inside a co-working space, you have an amazing view of like palm trees, maybe the ocean, 
but then you sort of realize I'm still stuck in front of my computer and <laughs> I am not out there in the ocean right now surfing because I actually have to get some work done. And that's an important thing also to just embrace. You will be stuck in a routine, which is normal. But then yeah. think about it. If you do a nine to five somewhere in like rainy London, where you're forced to be in a cubicle, it's still better than that, right? So, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think I there is definitely you can you can find a balance. I know, and I think that sometimes if I'm having like a bit of a tough time with being a digital nomad, I think where would I rather be? Would I rather be back in London where it's rainy and it's cold and it's dark all the time and I'm mm -hmm. working for somebody else or would I rather be in Argentina where I've just done a tango class and now I'm just doing a bit of work yeah. like do you know <laughs> and then I'm like oh yeah life is good <laughs> yeah I totally agree yeah it's remembering those little things isn't it and maybe things it'd be great to find out more about what you have coming up what are you currently working on and where are you going to be in the next few months? Sure. Um, right now, I feel like my most, I dedicate most of my time to the product that was like the most successful already two years mm -hmm. ago when I started being a digital nomad that actually allowed me to go travel, which is called HelpKit, helpkit.so. Mm -hmm. It's essentially a tool that turns Notion pages into a professional help center or documentation site. So the idea is like, it's a very niche product. People call it like a micro software as a service, I guess. It's making a bit more money than a micro product, I guess now, but like still the idea is that you can keep all of your documents in like this note-taking CMS kind of tool called Notion. And then you use your, essentially you use HelpKit to create a really beautiful professional help center out of it. Um, that's like the gist. That's what I'm working on the most. I've been working on this for two years now. Um, it's going really great. Um, despite like, besides that, I'm slowly venturing into a lot, lot of like cool new side projects. Cause I'm realizing like, I, I love to build new stuff. Um, yeah. I'm working on like multiple side projects sort of all the time, but now I'm finally have a bit more time to like dedicate a bit of my time. So right now I'm working on bringing back a, a very old side project I built called filmtypes.com. It's essentially for people that still shoot analog film, like 35 millimeter, all that kind of stuff. Um, nice. Essentially it's like a directory of like helping people how to shoot film. That's like a really oh, passion great. project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a passion project I'm working on. And a lot of other things you can find out on Twitter. I don't want to I don't want to go into too much detail. And one thing that is close to my heart, I did start like, like blogging a bit mm -hmm. right now, just on Twitter, I might upload it on YouTube one day, but the idea is just, I want to share a bit more of my, like my digital nomad journey on video. Cause I get obviously much more visual to do that and easier for me to do. And so, yeah, I've been doing this, trying to like, just share my life a bit more on in like video form and, uh, one thing I realized is I'm working on, like, there's this um, really, really cool um, Austrian born, but I think he used to live in Germany, um, designer called Tobias van Schneider. And he made this really, really amazing book that helps you to move to New York. Um, really great. Yeah. I, I never, never moved to New York, but I bought the book because I absolutely <laughs> loved it. And I'm currently thinking about doing the same thing for Bangkok as a starting point, um, nice. just as a sort of... Um, 
guide that helps you get into like this routine flow state, like as fast as possible. Um, but it's just a little side project idea I have because so many people ask me, like, I go to Bangkok and now, like, how do I get like comfortable in like a week? And like, that can be really hard. So yeah, that's on my mind. And other than that, I'm living right now. I'm back in Bali. I used to nice. be in Vietnam now for a bit. Before that in Bangkok, before that in, in Portugal. And now I'm going to be a bit in, in, in Bali again, seeing my friends. And uh, it's insane how much new like restaurants and cafes got built in the past six months um, since I left. Insane. Mm. Yeah, it definitely doesn't get boring here. No, no. Well, I might see you there soon. I fly to Bangkok in November. My brother lives there. So I'm going to oh, wow. hang out with him for a bit. And then my aim is to get back to Bali ASAP. So I might, yes. might see you there. Yes. Come to Bali. <laughs> yeah, the best. And then we just have a few quick fire questions before we wrap up. So mm -hmm. your favorite country you visited? Japan. Yeah. Favorite dish you've eaten? Babi Guling. It's an Indonesian Ooh. dish. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to have to try that. Where's the weirdest place you've worked from? Like a construction site in like rural Bali, where Ooh. I thought it's like amazing to work outdoors, but it got so hot that I, like I couldn't. Right. But yeah, it was like beautiful view with rice fields, like really, really digital nomad-like. But it just got so hot and I realized like digital nomads usually don't work like outdoors. That's like no. a myth. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason for that. <laughs> they go outside, get the picture and then go back in. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, your biggest sacrifice? Probably my dating life right now. <laughs> <laughs> Need to get on the apps. <laughs> and yeah, then well. the, the one thing that you miss uh, from back home, normal life, uh, when being a digital nomad? Um, I feel like, I mean, that sounds maybe weird, but it's like this, this hooker feeling, you know, like this feeling that you have when it's very cold outside, you're at home. Um, yeah. the term obviously originates from like Northern Europe, but like even in Austria at like when it's like January, it's really cold. You're indoors. You have like everything. It's like really, really cozy. Um, I do miss that. Like, cause I, I, I absolutely usually hate the cold. So I try to stay away as best as I can, but as, as weird as it sounds, but sometimes now I'm actually missing this feeling. <laughs> now I'm just like, every day is sunny or sometimes rainy, but like, I miss like this hooker feeling. So yeah, that's definitely something. Yeah. I get what you mean. Like last year when I was yeah in Asia, obviously it's always warm, but then you can crank up the AC. So then you get freezing, but yeah. you don't really need jumpers or anything like that. And I really missed having a jumper and like missing the fact where you can layer up and get cozy. You, you don't really have that over there. So yeah, I get, I completely get that feeling. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dominic, for coming on. It was great to find out more about you, what you have going on, and just hear about your sort of insights and your tips and everything like that. I'll include all your links in the episode show notes. Thank you to everybody for listening, and we'll see you again very soon. A big thank you to Hacker Cabin because they are sponsoring the podcast. Hacker Cabin is an amazing community that you don't want to miss out on. It's a community for remote workers and digital nomads and bootstrap founders. So if you fit into one of these categories, you should definitely get involved.
Hacker Cabin allows you to share your updates, questions, and have some amazing discussions with the rest of the community. Sometimes being a digital nomad can be extremely hard and super lonely, speaking from experience. Hacker Cabin really makes me feel like I'm part of something. It's an extremely welcoming community and I love being a part of it. Don't miss out on this amazing group of people. We even have a brilliant membership offer for you with discount code Lydia10 to get 10% off your Hacker Cabin membership. Thanks so much, Hacker Cabin. Thank you.